0: Hey everybody, we're here back live. I'm here with my co-host Jeff Barrett. Jeff, how we doing?
1: I'm really good and we got a chance to talk a little bit before the pod here, so I feel like we're, we're warmed up. Uh, we got all our pitches in. We're ready to fly at 100 miles per hour.
0: We're ready to roll. We've got on the phone one of our good friends today. Uh, did some cool stuff with us at Adobe Summit last year. Rana June, the CEO of, of Lightwave. It's an emotion technology company. Rana, how you doing?
2: Hey there, guys! It's a pleasure to be here,
0: Rana. Why don't you give us kind of the thirty thousand foot view? Rana has an interesting story because she kind of went technologist to become, you know, famous DJ who is back to technology again. Walk us through through your story. How'd you get in this space?
2: Absolutely. Um, I, I've been working in technology for about fifteen years now, and I've seen the evolution and progression of so many technologies. Um, whether that's the rise of social, um, you know, mobile, and now moving into wearables and sensor-based devices, it just, for me, it's always been about how do you enhance the human connection? And so throughout throughout everything I've done in my career, that's been something that I've been very passionate about. And something that's very interesting is that my, my father was a physician. And so I learned how to work with biosignals, such as heart rate, when I was a teenager. And so I'd always known in the back of my mind um, through my career in technology that it was possible to kind of, you know, print, if you will, the human experience um, using uh, electrical measurements, you know, um, to paper. And so that that is a huge element of how Lightwave came to be. So as you mentioned, Lightwave is a technology company that focuses on measuring emotion and sentiment, but not through, for instance, you know, scraping social media to look for words. We actually measure physiological indicators of emotion. So primarily, you know, that involves measuring things like heart rate, skin conductance, motion levels, even facial expressions. And this may seem kind of, you know, uh, extravagant maybe today because we don't really know what that could really be used for but at the same time we are very very quickly moving towards what i like to call a post click world so whether that's you know in a virtual reality world or in a car where you know it's a self driving car and suddenly now really it's an experience pod you know not a car there are so many areas where we're going to have digital experiences that need to be measured for efficacy, whether that's as marketers or as technology platforms. And very clearly, you know, the click won't be the way that we do that. And I, you know, I believe and a lot of people believe that this is quickly going to move to a space where emotion becomes the metric of success. And, you know, it's not an easy task to get there. But if we can start now and really get clever about how the measurement takes place and training people on why, this kind of data is going to make their own experiences better. It's, it's a very exciting new frontier.
0: So Rana, you talked a little bit about enhancing the human connection. You'll remember that we we talked at some at kind of at length about this idea of becoming an experienced business. How, how does that relate? How, how does this idea of enhancing the human connection help people to be more, more experience-driven businesses?
2: Oh, it's a really wonderful question. And I think so many marketers are getting, just beginning to do that now by, you know, really, I mean, Adobe offers some great products for this too, but through the personalization element. Um, and that's, that's kind of the first step. So if you know that somebody tends to, you know, take a certain behavior, they, you know, they always order the same coffee in the mornings. That's a really great way to enhance, um, you know, your experience or your connection with, with a brand, but that, uh, does not necessarily account for, you know, that sort of pattern matching doesn't account for the variation. And, you know, really, I mean, humanity is all about that. It's it's the spectrum of emotion. And so perhaps, you know, with new innovations, and obviously machine learning is a big topic here, but being able to get more and more clever using new data, it might be that you can take that a step further and predict people's needs um, and allow them to then, you know, really focus on what makes what makes the experience great. If you can remove every extraneous difficulty out of the experience, um, then you can kind of start to foster uh, a better one. So maybe an example of that is if you've got a room full of people at a party, you know, let's say a conference networking event, just as a silly example, um, and you can optimize around what the behavior is. And you know that there are some some wallflowers, you know, that there are some people who are really, uh, social, there's a dance area, let's say, um, and kind of the space is not really being utilized well. If you can then take the real time emotion data, you can start to maybe optimize those zones based on what the people who are there, you know, would make them feel the most comfortable. There's a little bit of a kind of ambiguous description of that, but essentially having systems that are a little bit smarter, um, instead of looking at things historically, looking at them as what's happening right now, I think that's what can help to really increase that connection.
1: Is there a need anymore than for a verbal conventional focus group? Or Because I've been told I have a very expressive face and it should be able to tell you how I feel about waiting in lines or how I enjoy talking to customer service or if I'm really cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs.
2: <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, today we do a lot of work, particularly in this space. So we work with, you know, film studios or consumer packaged goods companies, and we are not eliminating focus groups entirely. Instead, we're augmenting them with light wave technology. And the reason that that's working, you know, extremely well today is that there are two elements. On one hand, when somebody has a very extreme reaction to something, and they are given the opportunity, many times they will volunteer that opinion. So you don't necessarily want to completely eliminate that feedback mechanism. I don't know if it will always be a focus group in the classical sense that we've known it but it is really important to be able to to gain some insight through verbal uh, feedback that being said even through that process the addition of emotion data is almost vital to knowing whether or not the feedback that you're getting should be weighted a certain way because for instance there are a number of phenomena that we know related to bias and if you're in a room and nine out of ten people feel a certain way and you're the odd man out you're you're not necessarily going to be volunteering to say, hey, look, let me just go against the group here. Uh, but if the biofeedback can give you a sense that there was a heightened emotion or someone's, you know, let's just say, you know, their um, skin conductance level was going up, there was some kind of emotional reaction, you can then weigh the way that they're feeding back um, to kind of make those assessments. And a way that we've used this very frequently is a little bit different. So um, in that CPG example, If a customer wants us to measure, let's say, you know, uh, they've got 40 different kinds of shampoo in the aisle, and they want to know if the new packaging that they're deploying is effective, we can essentially use this kind of emotion technology to even determine levels of fatigue, you know, so shopper fatigue, um, and somebody would not necessarily be able to tell you, yes, you know, um, at minute, you know, 14, I was really tired of looking at all these shampoo bottles, but the technology can really help to get closer to that. Another example of that is some of the work you may have seen, you know, we do, um, we do film screenings frequently. And one of them was for the movie, uh, with Leo DiCaprio, the revenant, you know, the one with the bear attack, And that was a great example of this technology in use because the film was very long. It was almost two hours long. Um, and, And during that time, there were so many instances where the body actually went into the fight or flight response just watching this film. And afterwards, there were, you know, Focus groups and 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 feedback cl- classic feedback uh, mechanisms, but people wouldn't be able to tell you when that took place. And one of the things that we learned there was a little bit of an internal dialogue around whether the film was too long. Um, but as it turns out, the end of the film over the course of hundreds of people being measured with the lightwave technology. The end of the film actually had the highest emotional response, and that was vital because it showed that this was a calculated risk that really paid off you know and um I think that's another thing that emotion technology is going to be so great at helping you know particularly marketers solve are some of these decisions where you know you want to kind of go out on a limb and you want to make sure that this is um as close to you know the right decision as you can get without actually doing it, and certainly not saying that Lightwave is a, a fortune teller. But I think you know if you can measure these things, uh, it's it's always I think beneficial to get you know some level of unbiased feedback, and that's what physiological data can really provide.
0: Rana, so this is pretty pretty new stuff, right? So talk to us about what percentage of companies today do you think are using emotion tech data to make decisions.
2: I think about this all the time. And and certainly it's, it's a number that's very quickly growing, but I do not think it's more than about 10%. Um, Now, that being said, if you lump social media into that, it becomes a much larger number. It becomes, you know, over 80% or something, right? Because a lot of technologies in the social space will offer sentiment analysis where they're sort of looking at um, the the verbal emotions, you know, that are getting expressed. Um, and so that's, that's something, you know, if you're, if you're seeing the word happy next to, you know, the word Starbucks, that's a, you know, that's kind of the analog way, if you will, of, of gathering this data. And to me, that shows that it's not so much that people, you know, it, it is new. I, I really uh, think that you're, you're right with saying that it's new, but it doesn't mean that people aren't hungry for it. And once the technology become a little bit simpler to deploy and a little bit simpler to derive insights from, then absolutely it will become something that's just part of the marketer's toolkit um, and – and I think that that day is going to happen very soon. And you know, I don't think this is something that we're talking about twenty years from now. I really wouldn't be surprised if within the next five years, emotion as a metric was something, you know, not something that uh, everyone would be referring to.
1: Do you think the twenty eighteen or probably more likely the twenty twenty election cycle then maybe forces some adoption here too?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. That's a really wonderful use case because elections are so emotionally charged. And a lot of times the uh, bifurcation of the, you know, uh, kind of category that you feel that you're a part of will create a situation where your true emotions aren't really being uh, surfaced. It's just more of the visceral reaction to, you know, let's just say I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, you know, or I'm an independent or I don't like any of these people. But that doesn't necessarily encompass what it is that is Uh, really at the core, we did something with The um, you know, with the election, just more like a test case. We weren't working with uh, any particular party or anything, but just out of curiosity, we measured the emotional response to Hillary Clinton's accept, Democratic acceptance, uh, you know, nomination acceptance, and there were some really interesting insights that came from that because we were able to segment down to the emotional response across ages, demographics, you know, ethnicities, and then being able to see hey look these certain talking points tend to actually create that and i keep using physiological indicator um, but really you know emotion is probably a easier way of thinking about that and and that is very very um ripe, I think, for not only for the candidates to be able to enhance and um, kind of hone in their message across the different groups that they're trying to reach, but also for even, you know, for the media, for instance, to be able to interpret what the sentiment is, you know, without just using an an exit poll or, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen, uh, sometimes during these kinds of debates, they'll have literally a physical knob that you'll turn and say like, I liked it. I didn't like it. But that has a lot of challenges too, because just by nature of including that sentiment knob, let's call it, you're really introducing additional bias because somebody needs to remember to stop what they were doing, stop listening, physically turn this knob, Um, And the the delta is quite large between when you had that emotion and when you processed it and realized that it was something that you should indicate. So uh, light wave is almost that same concept, except in real time without any sort of intervention. And that then comes back to the human connection and human experience part, because if technology can start to become invisible and that you can just exist in the world and this technology in the background is uh, helping to get, you know, helping to sort of quantify experience in a way that's a that's a very, very new way of um, looking at data.
0: That's interesting. So Rana, just recently so that everybody knows, we had Rana and her company Lightwave out at the Adobe Summit in Vegas, Adobe Summit 2017. And we had her and, and her company put together an experience that we called the emotion Chamber, where essentially we walked people walked into a, an interesting, really dark space. And we put them through a whole bunch of different emotions, and, and Rana's technology measured all that. Rana, walk us through walk us through what that experience was, and what you think it proved for marketers. It
2: was a really amazing experience, and I, I'm so grateful, you know, to to uh, your team and everyone at Adobe for allowing us to kind of push the boundaries with it, because a lot of times, you know, we we as um, you know, as an emotion technology company, we have a lot of ideas that we want to uh, to sort of to just experiment with, and Summit was the perfect place to do this. So, as you said, the the experience was a uh, kind of part art installation, part uh, technology data experiment. So, in, in you know, when you walked into this infinite glass uh, mirrored installation, so imagine you walked into a space with LED and infinite mirrors, and it sort of was like you walked into Tron or something. Thing. It was very um, high tech looking. You walked in, there was a high resolution uh, video screen and a pair of noise canceling headphones, and of course, you know, uh, a wearable that was measuring heart rate and other uh, sophisticated sensor data points. And so, as you went through the experience, you watched a video after we um, sort of asked a few simple questions around uh, age range, demographic um and then you you watched a video that was a 2 minute video around sort of the you know the, the the spectrum of human emotion if you will so highly emotive content things like um you know a proposal or a puppy or you know just things things like this um if you could imagine and we measured in real time almost you know 60 times per second what the emotional response was to the content Um, And then created for everyone who went through it, a one of a kind piece of art that was made by their emotions. But what was really powerful about that is that while we were creating a one of a kind experience for every individual participant who went through it all of that data was then being aggregated and of course anonymized so nothing personally identifiable but everything was being aggregated so that we could start to discover emerging trends and patterns and so we started to find out that you know for instance when you know when you do put a puppy let's say into a piece of marketing content we know that that's going to get a response but those are those are things that are kind of the basics but what about other elements you know if you add in some level of conflict or struggle you know what what amount do you need to let's just say put into to an ad spot, um, to make it really effective or at what point is it too much and you start to get disengagement. So there's a number of ways you can think about that. What was really powerful though was seeing, you know, all the people that went through the experience um, afterwards being able to see the aggregate and noticing that there were some very, very clear trends, some peaks and troughs of what people were responding to and, um, and then kind of showcasing that and just demonstrating that, you know, it's, this is no longer some kind of dark art. I mean, you really can, you can actually measure what people's responses. Um, and then you can choose to make different decisions because of that. And I think that's very empowering.
1: How can the emotion enhance, save, boost, um, the brick and mortar retail experience? Can it be applied to better understanding how people navigate a space or what draws them?
2: Oh, this is something too. I think this has been a very popular, uh, question lately because certainly, you know, brick and mortar, uh, Everything doesn't even have to just be retail. You know, um, there are there's so much competition from what, again, really the the wealth of data that, you know, the digital companies have about um, you and your decisions and your habits that they can then use to make an experience that's so flawless Uh, and so streamlined that why would you, let's just say, you know, why would I go and uh, fish around, you know, the aisles at Target when I could just go on Amazon and with Prime, you know, the next day or the day after receive the exact item that I want without ever ever leaving my house. That's a really difficult thing to move away from. But at the same time, that does not count uh, count in in how important, you know, the human experience is around having connection, how interesting that we kind of come back to that. Because really, I I don't think that the future is going to be you know, if you guys have seen Wally, you know, I don't know if we're going to be living in these bubbles floating around. I do think that people do crave uh, interaction with one another, uh, but it just needs to now be enhanced to reflect what is digitally possible. So if suddenly, you know, you walk into a store and that experience is now infused with that same level of personalization, same level of predictive, uh, you know, insight that the digital companies can provide, uh, I think that there, you know, there's absolutely a way to do this. But we've been in this weird lull where I think the retail establishments, uh, brick and mortar in general, have just been struggling with how to. Um, maybe you know just play apples to apples with what the digital companies are offering i think that's sort of a mistake because if you factor in what the amazing elements that the physical establishments have they've got the ability to you know let's just say does does a shopper want to be left alone or do they want to have interaction um and and even knowing that and knowing what level is is appropriate or or what um would allow for somebody to really feel that they were, they were the focus, uh, I think that's something that is not going to go away and certainly not going to get replaced. Uh, and, you know, even look, now you're seeing it the other way. Why is Amazon buying Whole Foods? why isn't Whole Foods, you know, wouldn't wouldn't the first thing they do be to shut down all the Whole Foods and say, hey, no, no worries. We're just gonna, you know, do a drone delivery of your groceries or something. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, you know, that, that physical touch point is so vital to the human existence um, that now it's about just getting smarter with it.
1: Yeah, it's another place for Amazon to kind of collect information, understand habits, and also the dangerous part about it is that they can they they're a big enough company that they can take Whole Foods prices Put them down into a competitive space. They don't have to make money, they just need to have more people on a Prime membership. It's, um, it's kind of dangerous. Would you say emotion allows us to imp- anticipate needs more than reacting to them? And if so how does that aid companies? I
2: absolutely believe that's the case. And I think a perfect example of that is the airline experience, right? Why is it that you have to get to the point of anger and the point of the negative side of human emotion before you start complaining to, you know, name, you name it, your airline provider about how much you hate their guts? You know, that's something that absolutely, I believe, uh, emotion data can help to uh, proactively prohibit from getting to that point where now, you know, when vitriol is one of the attributes that someone feels towards your brand, it's really hard to come back from that. Um, And if, you you know, if marketers can use uh, technology to aid in in just having a few minutes of extra time to right the wrong, um, which, of course, you know, things happen, no one's ever going to say that... uh, situations won't ever, you know, uh, arise, but it's about how it gets responded to. And so you look at it like airlines are on one end of the spectrum. And actually, if we go back to the retail establishment, you know, look at a company like Nordstrom, you know, they're, they were known so well for uh, their amazing return policy that anytime pretty much you could just come back and return this item. And it was sort of no questions asked. And that made people feel that, okay, they're treating me like, you know, like how I want to be treated. I don't want to be, uh, fighting with the brand. And so there's a lot of examples of this that people have been, obviously, you know, uh, there are so many brilliant marketers through in every industry that have been thinking about how to enhance their c- customer experience. But um, if, if now you add in that predictive analytics element, it becomes... Amazing. And, and another, you know, think about large scale examples at a stadium. How many times have you gone to a ball game or something? And there's been a really long line, you know, to go grab a drink. And you find out later as you're walking back to your seat, oh my gosh, there was another cart over here a few feet away that was totally empty. You know, there's there's no reason why this kind of uh, frustration level couldn't be feeding a, a system to optimize even operations on that level. So there's I think that there's myriad experiences that could be made super you know, as superpowers, you know, uh, that, that we'll have access to once we can tap into that you know, visceral reaction.
1: You also gave me a hashtag thousand dollar idea, which is it's like an Uber, but for waiting in line to get you drinks at a sporting event.
2: I mean come on you know why not and I mean that's that's one of the things right that goes back to that idea of of connection and experience that has been the theme for us today I think like you know what you want to be doing is watching the game you don't you want everything else to be magic around you you don't you know you don't want to be um fighting with the crowd or something like that. So, you know, that's, I think that there's there's a lot of elements when I, when I really think about why the emotion part of it matters, um, sometimes struggle is good. You know, we don't want to say that actually we're just going to become these automated robots and, and everything is just going to be handed to us. I don't think that's a future that I'm excited about at all, but it is, it's sort of about, um, when experiences become on the, on the, again, those negative sides of the emotions, anger, frustration, um, you know, disappointment. Uh, I don't think that there's any brand on the planet that ever wants those words to come into to question, you know, about them. So if you can, if you can keep doing, um, what you can to make people feel that they're really at the center of their experience, I think that's when you're really going to win.
0: Rana, I'm remembering a conversation we had a while ago about, Uh, One of your customers that you had that was in the airline space, uh, and I don't know what kind of permissions you need to get or whatnot, but can you at least talk about what that test was that you ran and and, and what you kind of found?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. I can't give the name necessarily of, of who it was, but but you could imagine a very high-end uh, global airline brand uh, had some questions around what their new business class product experience was like. And, you know, focus groups in that case just really aren't a very viable way of gathering data because if you're flying business class, for the most part, you're a pretty busy person, but you're also very high... Um, value customer was particularly, you know, we know that so much of revenue of the airlines comes from this small percentage of customers that are sort of, you know, subsidizing the rest of the uh, low ticket costs for everybody else. So in this case, they were wondering if some of the additional elements of the experience were working. And so we uh, equipped uh, flyers with a wristband uh, that was measuring again a lot of a lot of sensor data but particularly we were interested in the correlation between heart rate data and this one that I referenced a couple times now skin conductance and, and in, a, in a way it's a, it's a sensor that is a very simple sensor it's measuring the electrical conductance of the skin but it turns out that as tied to your um, kind of uh, Let's just say your emotion system, right? Uh, when when there is a heightened emotion that's detected, your your skin uh, demonstrates this through very small uh, secretion of sweat, and that is something that can be measured. And when you can start to look at the relationship between heart rate and skin conductance, you can start to see if um, it's kind of moving towards a positive or negative sentiment, if you will. The reason I bring that up is that we were looking for elements when people were having a frustrating experience. So we learned uh, quite a lot. As as you would suspect, the... Security line and those elements, when we were um, measuring kind of the pre boarding process, were filled with so much frustration and so, so many elevated heart rates, and um, really just not a pleasant experience. The next one that was uh, kind of negative was getting the bag on the airplane, right? So, you know, this, this is even within the business class cabin. And then finally, you know, sit down, and the thing that really changed the game as far as the uh, emotion for these passengers was the aromatherapy towel that they handed out in the beginning, right? What a simple idea that something that, you know, it's it's not that much work, but suddenly it completely changed the physiological reaction that people were having to their voyage. And it almost allowed them to relax and then From that point forward, it was a number of very positive experiences with, you know, uh, the airline food and beverages and things like that. So I think what we learned from that collectively was that there will be some things that will inherently be frustrating because they need to be. But the sooner you can start to introduce elements that will reduce that friction and just change the entire energy of the experience, the sooner you get someone back on track to just being in love with your brand. And I think that's something that really so many brands can learn from. Um, and again, that, that's something that's purely available because of emotion data, because I think that people wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate you know, th- what I just mentioned uh, in such a concrete term. They would say, yeah, I don't know. You know I really I liked uh, the movie that I saw on the plane or I really liked the glass of wine that I had. But they wouldn't be able to tell you down to the second, you know, oh, this aromatherapy towel really relaxed me.
0: <laughs> so I guess the key is we need to help all businesses understand what is their aromatherapy towel, huh? So so talk me through, Rana, as we as we kind of package things up here, for any marketers that are listening in, wanting to create a better experience, wanting to find their aromatherapy towel – how should they start thinking about emotion tech data?
2: I'm so glad that you asked and and this is something that I, I really say to everyone that we talk to. It is unfortunately uh, become a bit of a habit, I think, for marketers that when Something new comes out that you just jump on it and suddenly it 's okay what 's our drone strategy or what 's our virtual reality strategy, or you know fill in the blank and I think with some technologies absolutely it's a you know it's it 's a race to being first um, I think in this case the the winners who use emotion technology, but we'll be the ones who are thinking about it with the most sophistication. And so that means just by nature of sophisticated thinking that you need to start small and test and learn and all those things that we know are best practices in marketing. But unfortunately, this kind of dirty word has entered our uh, collective consciousness as marketers, which is scale. And that somehow if something cannot be deployed at scale immediately, that it doesn't really have um, weight and I think in this case, certainly, you know, it, it's not necessarily a technical limitation. People, you know, I mean, even even for us, we've done events where there were 75,000 people at once being measured or, you know, you, you name it. The, the scale is not the issue. The reason why that um, element of scale is significant, though, is that this is a brand new data type. And it's not it's not an oracle it's not a fortune teller and emotion data certainly i mean you can look around the room and see if people are smiling i mean that we're not saying that this is something that is absolutely not achievable in other ways i think that the really special thing about this new data type is again that authenticity and the fact that you can't hide it if your heart rate's elevated if you're you know if you have a smile on your face if you're frowning if you're furrowing your brow those are really involuntary reactions. And the sooner you can have access to that data, the sooner you can then change the course. So what I like to tell people is it's absolutely the right way to do this um, to... Start with an experiment, um, and not one that's just so small that it has no viability, but something, you know, like I, I'd use the summit example as a great one. I think for the next maybe 18 months, there will be a lot of examples of sub 1,000 participant uh, emotion-driven experiences or research or whatever it might be, because the the other element of this that really is important is that this is not like a website click where it's a binary event. Either you clicked on something or you didn't click on something. This is a collection of so many data points that are then being aggregated. And from that point forward is when you're getting the insight. So, you know, for instance, we installed uh, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of sensors at Wimbledon um, during the two weeks of the championships. And we processed over 600 million data points in 14 days right? And this was like, that wasn't even covering the entire event. That was just a small subsection. So the scale of the data is so tremendous that I think that this now becomes an issue of, okay, what are the insights that we're looking for and how we think that they're going to impact our business? What's the most um, streamlined way of deploying this so that customers don't even need to, you know, necessarily uh, worry about it as far as, you know, how are we Managing the security elements of this. How are we making sure that we're we're handling the data properly? And then third, you know, how can we do a test that shows us that this has viability? Um, and this is going to be something that I think will take will take companies a few years to truly integrate. It's not going to be um, this miracle switch that you just turn on. But once it's in place, I think that you know. You know, Much like you know, we were talking about before, before we started recording, you know, when, when we went into the iPhone era, um, it was very hard to imagine a world w- before it. And I think the same thing is happening with the emotion era, where once we have access to this type of data, and that's not just as marketers, it's as consumers too. Once our experiences are emotionally informed, um, it will be very hard to imagine time before that was the case. You know there are so many uh, there are so many ways that you could start to think about this. We've seen a few examples of this that are are really interesting in the past. Uh, you know, in the past couple of months, we did a project with some you know elite uh, skateboarders, and so during a skateboarding competition, we had an art installation where artwork was being created based on the physiological data of these skaters so you could go and observe the art and see that your favorite skater made this piece of art with their with their emotion but what we also did was we embedded facial recognition cameras into the canvas, measuring your reaction as a spectator. But people didn't know necessarily that that was happening. And again, of course, anonymized. All of this, you know, we really are very careful with the way that we handle uh, personally identifiable information. But so this this um, very simple camera measuring facial expressions, and then that collectively was making another piece of art in the gallery that was made based on the emotion of the fans. So the reason I bring that up is the new iPhone that's coming out, um, supposedly, who, who, whoever knows with Apple, but um, in theory, it will have the same type of facial recognition, emotion uh, recognition data that you'll be able to have access to. So if you're making a Snapchat video, there's no reason why um, you couldn't necessarily, you know, like have your facial feedback, um, go back to that content creator, or, you know, there, there's so many ways that that simple addition of facial reaction tracking, um, can be, can be used. Um, e- even today, this is again, and not something in the future. The, the simple way that we've been doing that over the past few years is really the use of emojis. And that's the, you know, again, we've got sort of like these are like the the precursor to having a fully emotion tech enabled experience. You send someone a picture of your facial expression, but you know, I think really in the next 12 months, the access of that real time true facial recognition data will be will be prevalent. Um, now, as far as the specifics of that, um, this is a a very you know um it's an art form as much as it is a science and absolutely i think the coolest thing will be waiting for the killer app um because there's a uh there's a number of ways that you could do it and i and i've got a lot of things in the works i'm i'm dying i really want to share but i know i have to kind of be careful and and keep it a little close to the vest um for a little bit longer but But I bet you, you know, you're going to see a lot of examples of this. And we saw that same phenomenon with augmented reality and Pokemon, right? Augmented reality existed for so long. Um, I remember in 2007, 2008, there were so many companies in this space and the technology did exist. You know, the iPhone was out, but it took some time for the adoption of the technology to get to a place where it was very authentic to what people were doing. And that same thing, I think, is going to happen. You know, people have gotten so used to the idea of taking selfies, of physically, you know, showing their expressions. And if now that can be packaged into a data stream, you know, it will be really powerful.
0: Brilliant. Rana, talk to us in closing, as we wrap this thing up, any marketer, organization, content creator, on and on, uh, that is trying to think first about their customers and and the experience that they're creating. How should they think about emotion data? Should, sh- is it is it for everyone? Where should where should they start?
2: What I like to recommend is to write down a list of the questions that you have as a marketer that you currently have a hard time answering. And just starting with that, you know, it might, for some marketers, that will be really easy because they've got a core set of questions and they they already know what those are. But for others, the simple act of of asking those questions will kind of set the stage in a bit. Um, And there are a lot of resources around uh, how how to use this. Of course, I mean, you know, Lightwave is always a resource. If uh, we always say, you know, if if you even have questions, you can always reach out. We're happy to to uh, advise or or, um, just give some feedback on some elements of this. But, you know, there are so many, even on the facial recognition side, there are so many ways that you can... um have let's just say a web developer within your company create a site that is capturing this data, and you can start even as a marketer just playing with the technology um, and starting to see how it works because once you understand the technical way that it functions, I think that that will give a lot of ideas as far as you know how it can be used, but really, that list of questions you know i i I could you know imagine okay if you're a a car company. You know, how do customers feel during my test drives? You know, um, are they, you know, what what is the moment uh, during the test drive that is the differentiator between them walking away from the dealership or them purchasing the vehicle? And we use a lot of um, auxiliary data to help us with that, you know, using web data. And all of that data is so valuable and so vital. Um, But if you can now add in what was the experience during the actual drive, during the actual physical experience, um, I think you're going to get closer than than ever.
0: Awesome. Again, special thanks, Rana. This is Rana June, the CEO of A great emotion tech company, Lightwave, helped us with a great activation out at Adobe Summit this year. Uh, We've been talking about the need to focus on customer experience. And Rana brings some really interesting perspective about about the need to include emotion tech data uh, as you're trying to build those experiences. We'll talk to everybody soon. Have a good one.